I'm kind of here to explain a little bit tonight about why I think that's so important, but how I ended up in that place, because... As I said to you this morning, for those of you that weren't here this morning, I am, uh, to all intents and purposes, a very, very ordinary Essex boy. Born in Romford on the edges of Dagenham, uh, brought up by a mum who's a dressmaker and then left work to raise us, me and my sister. Uh, we come from working class roots. Uh, one half of my family were drunk Irish publicans, the other half were Hungarian Jews. So that's a toxic combination, isn't it? Whether there was one. My dad was a cop, proper old school East End cop, and we didn't do church. I said this morning he was a flying squad guy in regional crime squad. Um, which is like a national thing at the time, it was like the forerunner to, I suppose, the, the national crime squad that exists today, and then he was a, a senior murder investigator. Uh, but I've got vivid memories of growing up with a, with a dad who, you know, I found, you know, it was just an adventurous, kind of very robust, masculine guy, and that put something in you about wanting to adventure and do blokey things, you know, so all I wanted to do is join the army and shoot stuff. You know, I took up judo and karate because I wanted to have a fight. You know, that was actually what I was all about. I was just a way to scrap. So, you know, I was in Gideon Park and Romford Rugby Club. Let me tell you that an East End based Essex rugby club is not pretty. You know, there was, uh, you know, that was, that was my thing. And I can remember actually being very young and my dad, coming into our house with a sack of guns that they'd actually confiscated off a group of armed robbers. He was intercepting on average, back in the day when people were doing armed robberies, it doesn't really happen as much now, but back in the day he was intercepting undercover two or three armed robberies a week across London. He was in proper combat every week, but back in the day um, you could get away with, you know, maybe not checking in the evidence as quickly as you might now. And one day he brought in a sack of guns so I could play with them on the floor of my kitchen. <laughs> and I remember sitting there with half a sawn-off shotgun. Uh, I must have been about seven or eight years old. And I'm sitting there cradling half a sawn-off shotgun. I don't know what happened to that half. I suspect that they was hit over the head by someone and snapped or something. But I'm there with half a sawn-off shotgun and my mum coming into the kitchen saying, Brian, get that filth out of our house. And I can remember my dad saying, the only gun sweetheart won't hurt him. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was the environment that I was in. And uh, we had, uh, I'm not exaggerating this at all, honestly, this is not a parable, this is fact. Um, we had an Austin Allegro, everybody, that had a CB radio in it. Back in the day, that was the thing. And not just that, it had been fitted by MI5. My dad, he had an undercover cop car. Austin Allegro. Why was it? You'd think it'd be like a Trans Am, wouldn't you? An undercover cop car. But that's not reality. Reality is you have a rubbish car because no one would suspect it's a cop car. So you have an Austin Allegro. So that was the kind of thing that was going off. And we didn't do church. I, my first encounter, as I said this morning with church, was the barn dance squad for Ardley Green Junior School. Well, perfected the dozy doe. But the second encounter, proper full on encounter, uh, was the Gideons guy. Anyone here Gideon or encountered the Gideons? Anyone here a Gideon? Yeah, so well, what happened was they used to give out the Bibles in schools. I don't know if they still do it, but I got, this guy came in and they, they usually use businessmen. It's only men and businessmen. And this businessman, he was so intimidating. I mean, we were, we were like 
scallywags in Essex, you know, and uh, scruffy little kids aged 11 and 12. And this guy came in, big guy, power suit, big load of white hair, that's what I remember. He had a big pile of little red Bibles. And he told the story of how the Gideons were founded. And then he held up the Bible. And he said, this book will change your life. He said, if you promise to read it every single day and shake my hand and look me in the eye and promise to read it every single day, I'll put a copy in your hand. We were all too scared to say no. <laughs> so we all queued up. We were all sitting on the floor, stood up, got in the line. And I just go up, shake his hand. He said, will you promise to read this book every single day? And I said, I will, sir. He said, take the Bible. He said, read it every day. And he said, there's a, there's a guide in the, in the front. would show you how to read the Bible. He said, it would change your life. And I thought, well, I'll probably need my life changed. Do something like that. Age 11 or 12. And I took this little Bible away. Now, the little Gideon's Bible has in the front a reading guide. And it says things like where to read if you're sad, lonely, depressed. It doesn't say where to read if you're really happy, but it does say where to read if you're really fed up. That's just a little aside. And so I took it and I did start to read it. And in fact, I can remember my dad walking past me saying, what are you doing? I went, I'm reading this Bible I was given. So like, what is going on? I just walked off. But anyway, about two weeks later, I did read it every day. About two weeks later, my mate called Alex Biggs, who I still know to this day, he's working in the city now, he's still mates. He came over to me and he said, do you know what the Bible's made of? I said, paper. <laughs> and he said, Rizzlers. <laughs> Cigarette paper. <laughs> So by way of confession, ladies and gentlemen, I did smoke my first Bible. And I smoked it from Revelation back to Hebrews. I'd like to say I took the Word of God in quite deeply. That is actually what happened. Uh, I actually did smoke it. I smoked it from the last page to the middle, which is significant for what comes later, because I thought if anyone checks, they won't see the pages are missing. <laughs> How stupid is that? So um, that was my first encounter with God, and then nothing else happened until I was 18. And cut a long story short, in the intervening time, I'm 18 years old, I'd applied to join the British Army, as I said to some of you this morning, in one of the meetings. And um, I, I'd gone through selection, I, I applied to join at 16, they said, look, you've got half a brain, you should apply to be an officer. Uh, so I stayed on to do A-levels, and I was, one of my A-levels was English. And this guest lecturer, like he was a guest speaker, was a Shakespearean actor who was currently at that time performing in the Barbican Centre. i never forget this. And he, he's doing this talk about, you know, acting and being a Shakespearean actor. And for some weird reason, which I now know he must have been a committed Christian, being a bit cheeky, he said, there's a group of people who are prepared to die for what they believe in, all over the world. I don't know how he got this out of Macbeth, but that's what he started saying. And then he said, they're called born-again Christians. And then he said, are there any born-again Christians in this classroom today? Now to me, the phrase born-again Christian at that time meant one thing. Cliff Richard. It was the year the mistletoe and wine had come out. Not a fan at that particular point, I might add. So I'm thinking, oh, born-again Christian, what a terrible phrase. Look round, and my mate Alex Biggs, who I call Bigsy, had his hand up. So I thought, that's hilarious, nice one, that's really funny, like Biggs pretending to be Cliff Richard. So I'm going like, nice one, he went, no I am, I am. I went, no you're not, he went, no I'm a Christian. Well you're not a Christian, he went, no I'm a Christian. So after that, like, I'm horrified. I said, I was absolutely horrified. So after the lesson, I went outside and went, what are you talking about? Christian. 
Yeah, he said, I go to uh, the evangelical church on Lardy Green Road. And what, that little, that little chapel? He went, yeah. So how long have you been going there? He said, about three years. I said, well, you don't believe all that, do you? He went, yeah, completely. I went, why have you never told me? So we never asked. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to ask if you're Cliff Richard, am I? That's not a conversation, is it? So anyway, I was like, because I'm, I'm Beatty, everyone calls me Beatty when they get to know me. He's Bigsy, it's like the Beatty Bigsy show, isn't it, in school. I'm like, I'm devastated. So what I did was take the mick out of him, mercilessly, at any given opportunity. So like, I used to hide in a cupboard, and when they come into the classroom, I burst out. I go, oh, I'm resurrected, I'm alive, I was dead. And this is really bad. And um, so, I mean, I cottoned onto the basic truths of Christianity, the death, life, death and resurrection of Christ purely to take the mick out of him. So after a few months of this, I always thought, if I can make some girls laugh, then they might stand a better chance of going out with one of them. So I was taking the mick out of Big Z in front of a group of girls. You know, when you're built like odd job and you look like me, you have to rely on charisma and humour or whatever vague level you got, which was not a lot. So I thought, well, I'll try and make the girls laugh, cheap jokes. Taking the mick out of Big Z. He comes up to me in the midst of me taking the mick, prods me on the chest, like this, really hard, proper round him up. And he said, if you don't come to church with me on Sunday, you're a chicken. <laughs> Which is really, that's really clever, like this is, this is Horn Church. Like, he's funding me out, I'm captain of Essex Judo Squad. I'm, I'm a prop forward in the rugby club, you know, you don't call me a chicken. So I mean, of course I go to church, stupid. It's nothing. Be a laugh, take the mick. Anyway, so he said, right, he said, I'm going to pick you up at 7 o'clock on Sunday. Be waiting outside your house. I said, what is, what, is that when the meeting is? He said, no, it's the YPF group. I said, what's YPF? He says, a young person's focus group. So what do you focus on? He said, Christianity. I said, it sounds terrible. He said, you'll like it. I went, I won't. I said, how are we getting there then? He said, Doug will be driving. I said, who's Doug? He said, Doug's the youth deacon. I said, what's a deacon? He said, not an elder. I said, what's an elder? He said, more important than a deacon. I said, I don't get it, this is weird. Anyway, on the Sunday, I'm hiding outside the front of my house. Don't want my mum and dad to know where I'm going. I really didn't want my dad to know. And um, so I'm waiting outside the front of my house in Hornchurch. And this, <laughs> a brown Morris Marina pulls up. No, no. That is not an OES. It's a brown Morris Marina, everybody. Anyone ever owned one in brown? No, no. <laughs> it's a bad car. I'm a little bit of a petrol head. So, uh, Doug's driving, and uh, Doug, I thought, was really old, but uh, looking back, he was about 42, and I'm 46. So, um, I thought he was really old at the time, which is very depressing. Uh, Doug's sitting there, and uh, I climb into the back, and uh, Doug says hello, I say, you the youth deacon guy, and he says, yeah, that's correct, I'm a deacon. And uh, I say, okay. And uh, we pull along the road, and Doug turns to Biggs and he says, Alex, he says, every time I drive this car, I, I just feel so grateful to God for it. <laughs> I'm like, it's in Morris Marina. <laughs> grateful to God for Morris Marina. <laughs> and then he says to Alex, he said, he said, I know God's given me this car. So I said to him, said to him, what a bravado you have at 18. I went, God has given you this car. And he went, yeah. I mean, you kidding me. And he went, Carl, God gave me this car. We're now at the traffic lights. He turns around, he looks at me, he goes, one day, son, you'll understand what I mean. I'm like, ooh, like that, you know. 
Anyway, I was inside thinking, if it was a Porsche 911, I'd be doing Kumbaya. You know, I'd be like, I'm in. I'm in. Do you know what I mean? Like, God brother gives you a Porsche. Anyway, uh, moving on. I walked into the back of the church. There's a little evangelical brethren chapel, if some of you will know what that means. And, um... Very, very traditional. So everyone was wearing suits, women wore hats. Very, very traditional church. And uh, I walk in the back. The meeting was just finishing before the hall was cleared for the young people's group. So we sort of snuck in at the back. And as I looked along the back row, there were about five or six really good-looking girls. <laughs> so I'm like, happy days. Target-rich environment for the young hormonal man. Thought, this is absolutely brilliant. Now I know why Big Z is a born-again Christian. This is not why, so I did not expect this. This is really cool. And there was one uh, young lady that particularly caught my eye. So even before we got into the YPF group, which actually was as hideous as I thought it was going to be, um, I did actually ask this girl out. Straight away. I said, I said um, I'm, I'm Carl. I said, a friend of Big Z's and... Uh, you know, uh, come come along to the church. And I invited me to come along. I said, Fancy going shopping sometime in Romford? That's a line, isn't it? <laughs> Fancy going shopping sometime in Romford? God, what a killer! And she said, she said no. <laughs> she said I only go out with Christians. I said I am one. <laughs> she said no, I mean I go with people who've met, met Jesus Christ. I said I have. Definitely. She said, no you haven't. I went, no, I know I am. I said, I'm C of E or something. I mean, because that's what we all were. And it's like 1980 something. Like, everyone's C of E or, or Catholic. That's what I thought. Anyway, she said, no, 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 we don't do all that. Anyway, long story short, I kept going along to this group every now and again, purely because of this girl that I did really like. And um, I ducked in and out of church a few times, thought it was a bit weird. Um, and I used to sneak out the back for a cheeky cigarette and all that kind of stuff and it was generally a little bit disruptive, probably. And, um, I know I was. And, uh, at one point this guy comes over to me called Tony. Tony was an investment banker in the city and quite an impressive man with a nice car. He equally I thought was very old but was much younger than I am now. And came over to me and he said, he actually said to me, he said, um, you're annoying a lot of people in this church, your, the way you behave. I went, oh, thanks very much. That's a welcome, isn't it? Lovely, that, isn't it? And he said, but I like you. I think you're funny. I said, thank you very much. And he said, and I want to pay for you to go on the church weekend, wait for it, in Clacton. <laughs> Come on. Happy days. A well-known luxury tourist destination for all people with Hornchurch origin. Clacton. And he said, I know you like your sport, there's a gym. He said, I'm going to pay for you to go. There's a bar. He said, you'll have your own room, but there's a condition. There's a man giving talks called Robert Scott. He used to be a paratrooper, and now he's a Methodist minister. I think you'll like what he's got to say. There's a lesson in there somewhere about getting alongside people and taking a bit of a punt on it, actually. Because yeah, this was instrumental in my life changing. So, um... He, he, he said, I said, well, great, yeah, I'd love to go. He said, but you must honour what I'm saying now. I'm going to pay for you. You must go to the talks, please. He said, I can't force you, but just be, be honourable. Yeah. You know, straight talk. Don't know, you know. So anyway, I went to the church with Kenny Clacton, and I did have a laugh, and I went to the talks. And Robert Scott was an ex-paratrooper becoming Methodist minister, which I couldn't get my head around. How does someone go from being like an elite soldier to wearing a dog collar? I just couldn't... I'd not, I'd not encountered the reality of faith 
at this point. And he preached the message of Christ in a way that I probably heard it like properly for the first time with utter conviction, the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. He talked for the first time about sin, not, not Weight Watchers, SYN sins, but the sins of the world and our personal rebellion against God. The choices we make that bring hurt and pain into our lives. Now our self-centered choices, he spoke about it in such a clear way, I remember sitting there thinking, that's a bit uncomfortable, that, that sounds like me. Because deep down inside, you know, even though I had all this bravado, I was actually quite a deeply insecure guy, worried about what people thought about me all the time. You know, I used to lie awake at night worrying about things. Now a lot of people can have an outward, like uh, a kind of projection of confidence, but inside can be dying inside. You know, I did wonder, I'd had my head buried in the sand about life. Like I jokingly said this morning, my ambition was at that time to join the British Army, come out, make a million quid, take up golf and die. That was my life trajectory. You know, I didn't, I, I couldn't make sense of it. I used to worry a lot about my parents dying. As a young man, I was beset by lots of fears and anxieties, so, but no one would know that. Yeah. And I'm sitting listening to this talk and it's uncomfortably close. And then he talks about the hope of the resurrection and new life flowing into you and that Jesus defeated death and could give you peace and it hit me hard. But what happened was I moved that weekend from thinking what a bunch of nutters. No, I was only there for the girl. I went from that to thinking maybe there's a God. In fact there probably is. But what I'll do is I'll put God in my back pocket, like an insurance policy. You know, so if things go wrong, I could maybe sling a prayer up. Now, I became like a nominal Christian, I suppose. Uh, I didn't want to count the cost of following Christ that he spoke of, like surrendering all of my life to him, but I thought I'd keep God in the back pocket. And a lot of Christians are like that, actually. A lot of people who say they're committed Christians, actually live as though God's an insurance policy, they've not surrendered the entirety of their lives. Which I would define as, I will go wherever you tell me to go and I'll do whatever you ask me to do no matter what. Which is the prayer I prayed shortly after I gave my life to Christ, which we'll come on to in a bit. So I had the insurance policy approach until that evening, to 22nd of April 1990. And uh, I go back to the evening service, because I actually thought, well, I've, I now understand that for me God will be an insurance policy, and I probably didn't use that term at the time. It's a long time ago, I can't remember, but that was definitely my approach. So I go to church one last time, so I don't need to go to church anymore. Because I've, I've got the truth for me. Now, a lot of people, committed Christians, go to church to tick a box, to assuage some sense of guilt, or maybe keep God happy. It's not quite clicked what it's all really about, you know. So I was kind of in that in-between space. Um, and I also thought, I'll have one last go at asking this girl out. And, uh, and now I've become a nominal Christian, although I thought I'd become a proper one. Uh, and Robert Scott was preaching, he came back from Clacton to do the closing meeting at the Evangelical Chapel. And he was preaching about Noah. And I'd say there were two and a half times the amount of people in that room that night than I hear now. And I'd, I didn't personally speak to Robert during the whole weekend. And he would not have known who I was, I was hiding at the back for most of the meetings. And during that talk he suddenly stopped his sermon and he said, he said, this isn't Robert speaking, it's God speaking. And I thought, no it's not. 
it's Robert. That's not God. And he said, I'm saying this again. This is now not Robert speaking, this is God speaking. And he said, there's one person here who has come to a conclusion that the message of Jesus Christ is true. And you need to stand up now and give your life to me, not Robert, to God. And if you don't stand up now and commit your life to me, you will not go on to do all the things that I've called you to do and purposed you to do, which is to spend your life telling people about my son Jesus Christ. So stand up now. And in those seconds, I went from thinking, you nutter, to actually realising I was on my feet. And I wasn't just on my feet, I, st I was sobbing. And not just sobbing, I was sobbing like a man. I mean, noisy, messy, inexplicably bad. I mean, I'm broken inside. I mean, I can't, I can't to this day describe the feeling that I had. It was like pain and joy all at the same time. As I realised deep in my soul that I had a saviour who died for me. Wow. That I was encountering the bread of life. The itch I've been carrying was being satisfied in those moments. It was like rapid heart surgery. Anyway, um, I then sat down and Bigsy said to me, What would you do that for? And I went, oh, I thought you'd be happy. You know, I don't know what you're doing. And the reason he said that was, and I don't often say this in places, I got given a cassette tape of that service, which I've still got. A cassette tape, for those of you who are under 25, <laughs> it's a plastic thing where you actually wind up taping it that played music and all sorts of stuff. They were quite remarkable devices when you look back. The weird thing is, on that tape, it says, this is not Robert speaking, it's God speaking. If you want to commit your life to Jesus Christ, stand up now. I didn't hear thee, you will not go and do all the things I purpose you to do, made you to do, to tell people about my son Jesus Christ. So as you heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, the evidence of that is I'm standing there now. Yes. But I heard God whispering to my heart, you know, I can't describe to you, so I don't even know what all that meant. Anyway, there were two elders in the church, both called Ron. Ron Aldridge and Ron Blows. And one was really tall and one was really short. Did you not? And the two Rons, because obviously I'd caused some disruption and no one knew what was going on because I hadn't heard the full picture of everything. The two Rons come over to me, I'm sitting right at the back, like, as a, like a hit team at the end and said, and they were very posh. They went, Ron Blows said, we need to talk to you in the back room. <laughs> so I said, what? I thought they were going to shoot me in the back of the head or something. So they literally escort me out and they pull one chair up and they sit me down on it and they said, he said, young man, what's happened? I said, I don't know. He said, well, what do you believe? I said, I don't believe anything. <laughs> well, I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm, in the, like I'm being interviewed by the police or something. And he said, what, what happened during the meeting? I said, I don't know. I said, I just feel like I want to keep crying. And then they said, they said, well, we don't know what happened, and neither do you. So we'll, 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 you know, we'll talk about it another week. For what? So they literally exactly what happened. So they go to walk out the room. So I went, one, 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 come back in. And they say, come back in. I just like, one, one. The two ones came back in, and I said, I said, ones, uh, I don't know what I believe. I said, I don't know anything. 
I said, but what I do know is, I, I just, I don't know why I know, it's I know Jesus died for me. Yeah. I said, just a complete heart declaration of faith. So honestly, these two old boys, they literally were the elders, you know, the elders, they were very old. <laughs> they literally pulled me up out of the chair, and one guy started sobbing. And they're hugging me, and then they're spinning around like this. The other me spinning around. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. It kind of feels nice, but I'm not sure it should. You know, it's like, I don't know what's happening. And then literally, they go out of the back room into the main hall, and one of the ones said, Carl was lost, and now he's found. And I went, I'm in Orn Church. I know where I am. No, I don't know what's going on. And then the girl, it was all very intense and quick. The girl that I really fancied came over and gave me a kiss. And I thought I should have done this six months ago. What's going on? Anyway, then I married her. Come on. So I married the girl. Come on. How about that? 22 years old we got married. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, I, we did go shopping in Romford. <laughs> we actually did. We were in shopping in Romford and there was a pizza place called the Deep Pan Pizza Company. I'm 18 years old. I'm just, uh, I decided not to join the British Army. Not because I had an objection particularly about shooting people. I just felt God called me down a different path. Uh, so I just went off to study engineering actually for a bit. But uh, before I left we went shopping in Romford and um, we were kind of going out but hadn't kissed properly apart from the kiss on the cheek. We were like tentatively becoming really best friends. And then um, I was having a pepperoni pizza, which is my favourite pizza in all the world. And it was a particularly nice place before it shut down. And um, uh, Karen looked up across the table as I was looking lovingly at my pepperoni pizza. And she said, if you don't agree to marry me, I'm going to walk out of this restaurant right now. I thought, I'll just say, let's go shopping in Romford. And I thought, I so want this pepperoni pizza. I said, of course I'm going to marry you. I thought, it's the only one I'm going to get to finish my pizza. And I agreed to it. So that was like, she knew. Yeah. Like, she, when you ask her now, she said, I knew the first time I saw you, but I didn't want to go out with anyone committed to Christ. And that was a bit of a thing. Anyway, I drove home that night. Before I drove home, actually, just to say this, I, I was standing on the, on the steps of the church weeping next to Big C. And I looked across the road, and there was a dying bush on the main road. It was actually a shrub, but I ripped my top lift off in a cycle crash and it's a bit numb, so um, you can't tell now, but I had surgery on my lips. So I can't feel my top lips, I can't say shrub properly, but I can say bush. So there was a dying bush on the other side of the road and uh, I remember standing there looking at it and, uh, and I'm weeping and Bigsy says to me, why are you crying now? And I literally I went to him, I went, it's green. You know what? I went, the, the shrub is green. The leaves are green. I went, what are you talking about? I said, Bigsy, it's green. And I'm weeping. And he's looking at me like I'm mad. But you know what happened to me? It was like I'd stepped out of a black and white picture into a full HD, full-on colour picture because I was seeing the world that God had made for the very first time. It was like the scales had come off my eyes. It was unbelievable. I still have it now, like the first time I realised I needed glasses and you know, I put them on, I'm like, whoa! 
That was clear. <laughs> it was just like that. It was the most unbelievable thing. And I drove home that night looking at fat people, thin people, black people, white people, weeping, thinking these are God's kids. Yeah. It was the most unbelievable thing. And I can't remember which meeting I mentioned this in this morning, if at all. But uh, what did happen was the, the next day I decided overnight I wasn't going to join the British Army. And I'd gone through all the selection process to, uh, with the date to start, you know, to train as an officer in the Royal Tank Regiment. And uh, I went down to my dad, who was cooking a fry up in the, in the you know, it's about 6.30 in the morning. And I just, with all the bravado that you have when you just encounter Christ, said, Dad, I'm, I'm not joining the British Army now because I met Jesus Christ last night and I'm fighting battles for him instead. And my, it's actually the phrase I use, I'm going to fight battles for him instead. And my dad didn't even look up in the fight pan. This guy goes, you still fancy girls, don't you, son? That's the main thing. <laughs> it's like, oh, gosh. I was like, oh, no, man. I'm just like... Anyway, I, I didn't have a Bible until the day before. When I, when I made a commitment to Christ, I, I got given a Bible. Uh, I'd smoked the other one. And... Um, <laughs> This uh, old NIV Bible I've still got. I wore it out, actually, so I need to get it recovered because uh, it's just worn out. But it's very precious to me because I, I wrote my statement of faith in it and thanking Robert Scott the day I gave my life to Christ. I wrote it all in there the next day. And Karen actually wrote on this in 1990, which is a long time ago now, uh, 28 years ago. She wrote in there, I love you, Carl, and I always will. No, it's really useful, because when she's really fed up with me, I'll just produce that and go, Look, you wrote that 28 years ago, do you know what I mean? You've, there was a time you said you'd always love me, no matter what I did. So it's very useful, but it's actually very precious to me as well. But I went upstairs, and with this, my new Bible was on my bed off. My dad said that to me, and I thought, you absolute muppet, you know, you're such an idiot. And I, I said to God, I feel real, this is real. You've got to speak to me. And I did what I never recommend to do, I flicked my Bible open, I just went, speak to me. I mean, I didn't understand how the Bible worked. I knew nothing. But it opened onto the book of Hebrews, that I'd smoked back to. It opened to the last page of Hebrews, that I'd smoked back to. Uh, in the first Bible I had. But I didn't realise the significance of this later. God's just into this kind of mysterious stuff. And um, in that Bible that I have, and it's only slightly like this in my version here, Hebrews 13.5, which is the last chapter of Hebrews, which I'd smoked back to in the first one, uh, simply says, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. It says in the NIV, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. And that text is separated out from the body of the rest of the text in that Bible that I flipped it open onto. It stood out to me. And I felt this incredible sensation of love that I'd had the previous day. And it was the living God, almighty God, speaking to me in my Benjamin Hornchurch, saying to me, You stand for me, son, and I'll stand for you. I will never leave you alone. I will never forsake you. What I didn't read on was he said, Don't have any love of money. 
which became very pertinent to me when I gave my life into ministry and church planting and I had a job in the city for a while and I spent all my money I just so convinced about God's heart for the poor planting churches on council estates and stuff like that but it was so profound to me so basically only a few years after that I did a degree in engineering a few years after that with these verses echoing in my mind and the verses in Luke 4 18 to 20 which are like life verses to me the spirit of the Lord is on me is anointing me to preach good news to the poor to set the captives free became you know, freedom to the captives and became the year of the Lord's favour, recovery of sight to the blind, etc. Uh, it was so powerful to me that uh, I, I left my job in the city to, to establish this church. I just want to share one story with you. The first time I realised that God could move in sovereign power was during those days. And, um, and the first time I realised that God wanted to rescue all people and was so desperate to reach all people that he would he would almost like break his own rules to reach the most hurting and broken. I, um, I was establishing this church, there's a lot I could say, but it was a very, very tough time. And you're not going to believe this, but I'm very shy. You're not going to believe me. And normally people start laughing when I say that, but I'm actually quite shy. Uh, I mean, I do this because God's called me to it, but I'm an introvert. You know, I don't, one-to-one conversation's fine, but I can come across as aloof. Because I've got a grumpy face, naturally, and uh, slightly face blind problem going on, and and uh, I'm shy. Uh, so you know, I'm the guy who disappears into the corner in a crowd. You know, I get off a platform. I, I speak to thousands of people a year, and I can get off a platform and just want to hide. You know, I, I don't, I'm not around for plaudits. You know, I just I just want to get in my car and hide. I'm a shy guy, so I don't I don't like door knocking. You know, I force myself to do street work, because you know, I know the Lord wants me to do it. But I, so I was forcing myself to knock on doors on this council estate. And I didn't like it at all. And I was walking down one road called Colville Muse. Point being, if I can do this and I'm shy, anyone can step out for Christ. I'm walking down Colville Mews. This, this estate was very, very broken. There were brothels on it. There was care in the community housing that was underfunded. Um, it, it was halfway housing for ex-offenders that was understaffed and under, it, you know, it just wasn't done very well. And the state was falling into a terrible state of disrepair. And Colville Mews was a notorious road. And as I'm walking down the road, I decided not to knock on those doors. <laughs> and then I, I, I went past number five, and this little nudge inside me said, knock on number five. So I oh, might as well. I was actually with three guys who were pub musicians I led to the Lord, and they did our worship in the new church, which is brilliant. It was good, but not good, because the first time we did a community barbecue, they said, Beachy, do you want us to do some music for the community barbecue? And I mean, that'd be amazing. So they set up their own PA kit. We had big oil drums, cooking up loads of ribs and chicken and stuff. First song that came out was, I want your sex, baby. And I thought, we need to seriously do some discipleship here. That's really not what I was after. Uh, but anyway, so I was walking down the road with them, and I knocked on the door at number five, and this woman asked, at the door who looked like Big Daddy the Wrestler from the 1970s. Do you remember, anyone remember wrestling from the 1970s? She was big man, and, but she was aggressive and stacked and her hair was slicked back. And she opened the door, she went, whoa! And I went, my name's Beach, I'm an undercover vicar, and I'm introducing the, the new church we started on the estate. And she looked at me and she, you know, it wasn't quite said like this, but she said, I don't want a man who wears a dress for a living telling me how to live my life with a few choice words thrown in, let me just say that. It was pretty full on. And literally slammed the door in my face. So, oh, 
No, that didn't work very well. So I went down the path a little bit shaken because she was so violent with it. I mean, it was so full on, right in my face. As I'm walking down the road, and the, guy, the pub musician guys were laughing. As I'm walking down the road, this little nudge says to me, knock on the door again. I'm like, no, wait. Now I'm walking down the road, and this little, I can feel it. Now, I'm not used to God speaking to her, but I can feel this voice saying, knock on the door, knock on the door. And I'm walking away, I'm walking away. This voice is saying, knock on the door, knock on the door. So, oh, so guys, I've got to knock on that door again. Something ain't right. So I'm going, that'll be a laugh. So I went and knocked on the door again, and this woman opens the door, Big Daddy, the wrestler, opens the door and she says, I told you once, I told you twice, now do please depart, or words to that effect, and slams the door in my face. And the guys start laughing again and we walk off. I thought, what was all that about? Ten, eleven days later, not quite two weeks, I'm walking down Colville Mews again, <clears throat> deciding to not knock on the doors there. And as I'm walking past number five, this little voice nudge says inside me, knock on the door again. So I'm like, oh, you are kidding me. And I'm trying to get away with it, and he's saying, knock on the door, knock on the door, knock on the door. And I'm on my own this time. So I knocked on the door number five, and this time she opened the door, and she said, oh, it's you, love. Come in. Well, it's a bit weird. So I walked in, and the house is bad. I mean, it's, she's poor. She's very poor. And, and her daughter, who was probably about eight or nine years old at the time, maybe, yeah, probably about eight or nine, was sitting on the floor rolling a joint, probably for her mum. This is urban UK poverty in the mid-90s. Not good. Still out there today. Not good. And God's heart breaks for this stuff. So, you find yourself working in these areas, that's the sweet spot of God's heart. I actually believe that it gets God's attention. It's what he wants for us, so... Anyway, I sit down in a chair, and I'll never forget this. She says, she's want a cup of tea? So I love a cup of tea. She passes me a cup of tea, I take a zip, and I went, you got any sugar? And she went, sugar? That's really bad for you, you know? And I'm like, that's the sugar police, right there. Daughter's rolling the joint. Sugar's really bad for you. Anyway, I then say to her, and that's how I can remember, it's one of those moments, you just never forget that. And then I say to her, a bit of a change of heart. She seemed a bit angry a few days ago. And she said, well, let me tell you a story. And what she said was this. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details tonight, because it was bad. But she said, I was abused by my brother, one of my two brothers. And it was unspeakable abuse. I mean, it's bad. And she told me some of the detail. She was abused as a child and into her teen years. And she'd felt suicidal all the way through her life from that moment. She was now in her late 20s and she wanted to die because of the abuse that she had suffered. And um, she'd been through a load of relationships, uh, suffered domestic violence after that, made loads of bad choices, really broken, and was working as a debt collector for her other brother's illegal debt operation that was working on the estate. And she said she'd bought a load of vodka and a load of pills. And she was going to kill herself that day. She said, and you knocked on the door. She said, and I was literally in moments of going upstairs and leaving my daughter downstairs, I was going to kill myself. And I said, what happened then? She said, well, I was so angry you broke the moment. I said, well, I could tell you were angry. And she said, yeah, but she said, I did this thing. She said, I remembered that in school sometimes we prayed. And so I prayed a prayer. 
I mean, she said this in slightly different language. She said, I prayed this prayer, which was, God, if you are real, you'll make that guy knock on my door again. And she said, you came back and knocked on the door, and I was so freaked out, I shouted at you. But I've been looking for you ever since. I'm trying to find out who you are. She said, I don't, she said, is this stuff real or what? I said, yeah, it's real. This is real. It's God loves you. You don't want you to die. I'm, I'm here because I knocked on your door. I said, I don't like knocking on doors. It's the only door I knocked on on this road. I said, it's because God sent me here because he loves you so much. Her name is Sue. He loves you so much, Sue. He led her to Christ there and then, is it, that would happen, wouldn't it? It went hard. And uh, she immediately gave up being a debt collector for her brother and became a lollipop lady a month later. And actually was a highly evangelistic lollipop lady because people, everyone was terrified of her on the estate at that time. <laughs> and she would say, do you go to Queen's Park Church? Because you should! And people would go, I'm coming! <laughs> so, such, a, such a scary reputation. And she even forgave her brother who abused her. It's the most remarkable thing. So I guess the point is this. For an ordinary bloke encounters an extraordinary God. And when you say, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever you ask me to do, whether that's knocking on the door, whether that's giving everything up to pursue the gospel, leaving your job to plant a church, whether it's talking to your friend at the school gate, when you say, I'll go wherever you tell me to go and do whatever you ask me to do, miracles will follow you. Yes. Like they 100% will. I 100% will. Now, some people say to me, why have you got so many stories? Well, I've got a lot of stories because I have a lot of goes at a lot of stuff. <laughs> Nothing ever happened to a man or woman that didn't have a go. Right. The more you have a go, the more stories you'll get. Yeah. I pray for hundreds of people every year. I speak to as many people as I can. I put myself out there. And some things go terribly wrong, but some things don't. Yeah. But here's the thing. If it is true that Jesus died and rose again, and if it is true that that is the only way to heaven, if it's true that one day we will all die, and our choice to follow Christ determines where we go at death, then that, that must be everything, right? Whether you're a dentist, a van driver, a teacher, a doctor, a factory worker, an actor, it don't matter who you are, or what you are, actually the driving course of our life is the message of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That is absolutely everything. And if you put yourself on the front foot of God's purposes, miracles will follow you. And you will see beautiful transformation. But honestly, like people like me who sit on platforms or stand on platforms and speak, people think that they're special, they ain't. They're just people having a go. They carry all the same fragilities. All the same fears and concerns. All of us can be about God's rescue plan. Yes. And the more you step out, the more you'll trust with you. Yes. And the more you'll see happen. Yes. But there's another thing I want to say too. It may be you're sitting here tonight and you're hurting. And it may be you think, oh, is there a God who loves me? Well, I've heard about Jesus and I've heard this talk, but I've not met him yet. Well, tonight you should not leave this building before you talk to someone. Because yeah. there is a God in heaven, a Father in heaven who loves you more than you can ever comprehend fully. 
this side of eternity loves you so much. Loves you so much. Love us to bow our heads, actually. And bring ourselves into a sweet spot of God's presence. So here we are, God. I simply want to say this, like, just to give an opportunity first to, if there's anyone here who's heard, like, like me, you'd heard the message of Jesus. You'd heard that Jesus lived, died and rose again. You, you heard it all. And maybe people even think that you're a follower of Jesus. But you know deep in your heart you've not fully surrendered. You've not fully said, I'm in. Or, like you've not even come to the point yet where you're saying, you're, not, you're only just started to understand it now. Maybe tonight you could, you could take your first steps towards Christ. A little yes to say, yeah, I want to move towards you, Jesus. I need you to meet with me. You might not understand it all. Well, everyone's got their heads bowed and uh, maybe their eyes closed. Does anyone here who wants to make a little reach out to God? Or even admit to God you're not fully committed yet? Just raise your hand in the air. Say, here I am, God. Would you meet with me? Just like it started for me, putting my hand in the air, standing up in a meeting. Maybe that's you tonight. Does anyone here who wants to do that? Just pop your hand up. There's a couple of people's hands up. It's beautiful. Someone else wants to pop their hands up. Just give it a moment. Say, here I am, God. Meet with me. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for those who responded, though, God. Put your spirit on them, Father. Rest your spirit on them, God. Keep them in your grip. Keep them in your grip, God. Bless them, Father. So I'm in a hundred percent. I so want to follow you. Yeah. The second thing just to pray into is the people here want to maybe for the first time fully say, no matter what the cost, I will go wherever you tell me to go and do whatever you ask me to do, no matter what. Trust in you, you'll never leave me or forsake me because that's what your word says. We're all in on God's purposes. If there's anyone here who wants to say, oh, I'm in, I will honestly go wherever you tell me to go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do, no matter what the cost. Maybe you stand with me. I'm saying it again. I want to go, God. I want to do what you ask me to do. I don't want to hold back for fear of money or what's going on with a pension or my house. Or I want to just be all in for you. I want to just say it afresh. If that's meaningful tonight, meaningful tonight. All in 100%. Thank you, Jesus. All in. That's a big prayer, you know. It's a bold prayer when you say that. I'll go wherever you ask me to go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. That's a bold prayer. Father, you see us. You, you see what's in our hearts. Lead us on, God. Show us what it actually means for us to go wherever you ask us to go and do whatever you want us to do. Show us specifically, individually, what that means. Maybe even speak to us now. Maybe there was a seed of something you put into people's hearts years ago that's not quite been fulfilled through fear or worry. God, do it now. Just release vision. Release your purposes into people's hearts. Show them what you want to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Help us 
Niji Kingdom God. Thank you, Jesus. Just keep in this place just a moment, a holy moment. Really put some teeth in this and say, God, I'm yours. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Spirit, God.